Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Part of the Rewatching Good TV Network. It's Ragnar Cast, a Vikings podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. And welcome to RagnarCast. It's a podcast dedicated to Vikings on the History Channel. This week it's episode 8 of the podcast, and we are covering season 4, episode 8, entitled Portage, written by Michael Hurst, the showrunner, and directed by Ken Girardi. It first aired on April 7th, 2016, and was viewed by an estimated 2.25 million viewers. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from Ragnarcast, that's R-A-G-N-A-R-C-A-S-T, dot WordPress dot com. That is your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, the back episodes. We also put up polls between Thursday and Sunday mornings for you to participate in in order to rate the episode that is aired each week uh, as they air. And uh, it's also where you can find contact links, like sending emails to ragnarcast at gmail.com or tweeting at ragnarcast or using the listener line, leaving a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840. And it's also the place where you can find podcatcher links like iTunes and Stitcher store pages. And if you would take the time to leave me a written review uh, of this particular podcast uh, on the Stitcher or iTunes store page or whatever podcatcher app you use, um, then it's very helpful to me to stay more noticeable among the other podcasts that are covering this show. And it also, you know, if you're just honest about what you'd like or dislike about the podcast, then it helps me to improve the show as we go along as well. And I guess that's enough about the podcast itself, so let's get to talking about this episode. At the top of every episode, I do something for you new listeners. It's called a Ragnarism, or the Ragnarisms. Uh, basically, all they are is just whatever you, you feel is the great quotes from the episode. And again, I take submissions via any of the contact lines or any of the ways that you can contact me. You just send them in before a Sunday morning, and, and I uh, compile them into one single clip with all of your favorite quotes or scenes from the episode. And we have quite a few this week. We have from at xhanna91, that's our friend Shanna, who liked the Lagertha, Finehair, and Halfdan when they were discussing Ragnar. At Mischief Forever... Uh, it's Jenny liked Quinthrith and King Eckbert right before Judith killed Quinthrith. Spoiler alert, by the way. At Fat Monster, 
That's our buddy Matt. He's liked Harvard's line, Oh, I don't sleep with every woman, only those who need me. Uh, and then added, that line has never worked for me. Um, I would hope that that line would never work for anyone, to be perfectly honest. But I know it hasn't worked for me either. Um, at Cute Poison 10, that's our friend Christine, uh, wanted the killing of Edu. So kind of hard to do that in an audio podcast, but I did do the dialogue leading up to it. Uh, and then Bridget in a voicemail, like the Helga and Floki conversation. And my own personal favorite was uh, when Eckbert first showed Quinthrith the documents and, and she basically got went off on a tirade and said, how do you sleep at night? Uh, so I got all of that in there for you, too. Here are all of the clips in the order that they appeared in the episode. And we'll be back in a second. I cannot believe this is happening. We bought into the magic of Ragnar Lothbrok. We thought no one can stand in this way. In our world, we cannot accept compromise. We cannot accept failure. Someone is always responsible for failure. If I were you, I wouldn't talk about Ragnar Lothbrok like that to my face. Before they were unfortunately put to death, the members of the ruling council, along with your family, were obliged to put their seals to these documents, whereby Lord Wigston, in the presence of the laity and the clergy of Mercia, accepted both your abdication from the throne and my assumption of it. What? As you see, the devices are legal, the documents binding, both in the eyes of men hand of God. You are a monster! I always knew. But until this moment, I never realized how truly monstrous you are! My own sin seems so trivial, so unimpressive! How do you sleep at night? Lord Eckbert, how do you sleep?
been so much better. Things could always be better. Uh. How does it feel to be so close to death? Mighty King Edmund. You know that I will kill you. One stab and my unborn child is the future ruler of Wessex. Of course, you could kill me. But if you kill me, my guards will kill you with no questions asked. So, a wide variety of favorites this week. I I love it when everybody's choices are are kind of diverse, or even when they're unanimous. It shows how the fandom reacts to different things. Love it. And with that, why don't we get into talking about this episode? And I I don't even know where to start. I think I want to start at Wessex, since we've already uh, uh, given away that uh, poor Quinthris has, has been killed. I wasn't really shocked by the fact that Quinthris was going to be killed. Uh, in fact, I think that we all suspected that was going to happen. And as unfortunate as that is, because I love Amy Bailey and her crazy, crazy Quinthris. I, I just think that that's very entertaining. But I was shocked by who ended up taking her down. I, I thought, you know, it, it just seems like every time that people might get some dirt on Eckbert and really be able to have fuel to rise up against him to show him what a menace he is. That's one of the reasons why I liked Quinthra's quote that I picked out was because Quinthra's basically called him out for being a monster and yet he never gets caught at it. And here it's Judith, you know, he's got another sacrificial lamb doing exactly what he needed done in terms of Quinthra's was concerned. Um, he has manipulated this thing from the very beginning. We've seen that now. He actually, you know, based on everything we say here, especially his conversation with Judith about how him and Werfirth, the, the scout, uh, basically planned a lot of this uh, well in advance. And it, it was one of those things where if Quinthrith happened to be killed when Aethelwolf was trying to rescue her, so be it. It's just another thing out of the way. This was always all about Eckbert just getting Mercia, him being able to annex it. And again, I will say like I did last week, seemingly without Ayla's help. So there's not going to be any reason for Ayla to dispute this thing that was made. Plus, isn't it kind of convenient that all of these warlords agree to sign all of this and then they're killed? I, I mean, that seems uh, a little uh, convenient. And I, I still, I go back to something that I said early on in the season, and that is, is it possible that Eckbert has been manipulating this whole thing from the very beginning? And I think that him confirming to Judith about Werther, I think that that does confirm that. On the other hand, Judith actually killing Quinthrith was just such a shocker. And even the reason being, you know, look what you've made me become, more or less, is, is what she says to Eckbert. And she has her own reasonings for killing 
Quinthrith because Quinthrith has an heir to the throne in her belly, which was a shock. Didn't realize that Aethelwulf had made her pregnant. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I, I didn't realize that she was pregnant with Aethelwulf's kid. Um, and that would be a threat to her own children and their ascension to the realm, uh, to the to the throne. So it can all be played off as something as simple as that if Eckbert ever needs to clear his own self. Everybody who is in any way able to implicate him, aside from Judith and aside from Wickstan, is now dead. Waithworth is dead. Quinthrith conveniently took care of that for Eckbert. He has no ties to the plot that led up to his ascension to the throne left. Again, save for Wigston and save for Judith. But with his declaration to Judith, um, I don't know that Judith is going to say anything. I mean, she certainly wouldn't want to implicate herself in murder unless she just felt really terrible about it. So it feels to me like, once again, Eckbert has gotten away with murder. <laughs> uh, literally. And it just, uh, it's, it's just so crazy. And I don't know. Him telling Judith what he did uh, about loving her. I mean, do you buy that? I mean, I kind of actually do. But I also keep the possibility that I will be proven wrong about believing that. Uh, because if it would ever become more convenient for Eckbert to succeed with his ambitions or lose his love, I, I think he would choose the former as opposed to the latter. There is the, the thing about Wigstan, who is now off on his uh, pilgrimage in the same way that Alfred and, and Aethelwulf are off on a pilgrimage. And if they were to cross paths, how will Aethelwulf respond to that? I mean, he would clearly, I, I think Aethelwulf's fairly smart. I think that he would see that um, the fact that Wigstan had said that Quinthrith, uh was a disgusting family member that needed to die or whatever. If he went so far as that with his, with Aethelwulf, then Aethelwulf would know what was up and, and how will he react to that? So I just feel like that again, Eckbert just got away with murder here. And, and the only thing that can really come back and bite him is if Wigston runs across to Aethelwulf or if Judith just felt so compelled by guilt um, that she admitted to everything, and I just don't see that happening. I, I just don't. Um, I think that even if Eckbert doesn't love Judith, Judith has somehow now, and I feel bad for the girl, but she has somehow now convinced herself that she loves him, and that just doesn't seem right <laughs> to me. And in the meantime, the, the really sad thing about this is that nobody really cares whether Quinthrith is dead or not. Certainly not the people of her kingdom. Certainly not anybody in Eckbert's court, since he benefits from it. It, it, just, it just seems sad. It seems like such an um, anticlimactic way for crazy Quinthrith to go out. At least we got to see one little flash of crazy before she did go out. I, I love that. I love, love, love Amy Bailey. I'm going to miss her dearly. Um, and I'm going to miss Quinthrith because that, that crazy character just, like I said, was very entertaining to me. So we got to pour one out and say goodbye to the lovely, insane, 
and yet you root for her in some strange way, or at least I do, uh, Quinthrith. Uh, rest in peace, you poor girl. You know, way to way to go. Uh, losing a baby, too. I, I wonder if that will bother Judith actually more than anything else, is the fact that she did kill a child. Even though, you know, again, that child would have been a threat to her own children's power. Let, oh, let's also not forget, though, that now Magnus is in play. Almost forgot about that. Sorry. Magnus is in play now. I mean, essentially, Eckbert can now foster him. There's no one else to take him. And he can use him in any particular way that he wants, be it to foster a treaty between him and the Vikings in the future or to use it against the Vikings in the future. There's a, a lot of ways that could play out. But Eckbert has clearly come out on top, even if by accident, although I really don't think it was all that much of an accident either. I think Judith was clearly obviously in the room for a long time, and then Eckbert had felt like he had secured Judith's love enough to defend him in that moment. Just crazy, crazy. And and, and I guess while I wasn't surprised by Quinthra's death itself, um, just that Judith was the one that did it, uh, that was definitely uh, a quick surprise, as was the quick turn of Ragnar on Edu. I mean, it, it makes sense, um, given Ragnar's actual extreme addiction. And I guess the fact that we did still see that some of the drugs were left, I, I guess that means that Ragnar must have been talking to the head while under the influence of the drug itself rather than out of influence from withdrawal. Um, I was certainly hoping for it to be withdrawal because with Ragnar in this state of mind right now, I mean, he's just not my favorite character in the world at the moment. And I'll get back to Edu in, in just a couple seconds, but let's talk about this idea of doing the portage. It seems like a good plan. It, it, it definitely kind of nifty for what it was and the way Ragnar wants to use it. And, and history definitely tells us that in the 8th and 9th centuries that Vikings actually did do portages, at very least, uh, in Eastern Europe. I do have a slight problem with the logic of doing it at the location that he chose. Because the ground is going to slope between hills and valleys between there and Paris anyway. So they're going to have to go up and down mountains anyway with these boats. So why choose the highest spot if you're going to have to go back downhill and back uphill and back downhill anyway? We saw that there were lowlands. That's where the forts were at. And he's going to have to go uh, through a lot of mountains just to stay high, just to go around them. I mean, this is going to be a long trek. On top of that, with all of the amount that they're going to have of wood that they're going to have to use to move these boats, even if they pick up some of the, the logs and everything, you know, from the back and move it to the front, it still seems like they had more than enough wood there. And there's obviously more than enough wood in Francia to where it would have been easier just to hide all of the boats somewhere, trek on foot through the hills out of the range of, of the forts or whatever, and then build new boats. I mean, yeah, maybe it would make noise, but I, so is a bunch of hundreds and hundreds of Vikings going, heave, ho, trying to get the boats back to the river at some point between the forts and Paris, which, by the way, Paris didn't look like it was all that far away from those forts. So 
bringing it down through and back into the river on the other side, I would think that the patrols would be doubled. And I'll get more to that um, with Rolo in a minute. It just doesn't seem like you have to go to all of the extra effort of lifting the boats when you could have put it in in a low spot and then just use the tracks to move the boats anyway, because you're going to have to do that no matter what. So it, it just seemed like that the whole idea was just to give us these beautiful shots of the boats being lifted. And they were. They were fantastic shots. I, I did love that. Um, but again, it's it seemed more like that the story was just trying to – the reasoning uh, for the story was just trying to serve the shots that they could create with it rather than it being logical in any way. And like I said – some of the boats they are leaving behind. Ragnar did uh, tell Ube and, and Fitzirk after he killed Edu um, to, to leave some boats going around. So I, I just I don't know why they didn't just think about maybe possibly uh, building boats uh, once they were on the other side of the fort and then bringing them in with portage that way. I don't think that would have taken any less time than the amount that they're hauling everything up. They might even have made better time just going further out closer to the sea and hiding the boats out there and then just uh, hiking back. I, I, I just think that they wasted a lot of time with the whole raising the boats thing. All right. That's a Matt's tomato. Sorry. Um, if you don't know what that means, uh, I used to complain about where did the tomatoes come from on Lost. <laughs> it's it's a nitpick. I, I just uh, That's basically what it is. When you hear me say that's a Matt's tomato, it means it's a nitpick. Still, despite the fact that I, I didn't really feel like that where they decided to pull the ships up really served the story all that well it was more about serving the scenery i did really appreciate the fact that it floki once again floki the engineer is coming through and and, and building these great contraptions and carefully watching as these boats are going up i mean that side of floki is so amazing to me remember he's the one who built these boats in the first place that allowed them to sail these great distances and the, to these distant lands in raid. And he is the one who's come up with so many great ideas for Ragnar or Ragnar has had the idea. And then Floki has made them work. And that happens here. But I will say that before Floki agreed to it, there was kind of a tense moment for Floki. Uh, I did not look at this as, as Floki just being all of a sudden on team Ragnar simply because Ragnar pulled him from the water. I don't look at it like that. I still look at Floki as being very conflicted since he came back and Helga was in the state that she was. And I'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. Also, I just feel like that if Floki was truly on quote unquote team Ragnar, then he would tell Ragnar about the vision that he had with uh, Aslog and Harbard. I, I just feel like that that will be the thing that tells us that Floki is actually Team Ragnar, and I won't believe anything until otherwise. That kind of brings me to the fact that I think it's because of Helga. And I'm going to say this. Helga looked like she had healed significantly. She looked like she had third-degree burns and stuff in her at the end of the, the battle. Here, she looks pretty healthy, and that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make one bit of sense to me. The time dilation, not that much time has possibly passed. And the reason why I say that is because they haven't even gotten out to sea yet. Um, and you would think going downriver towards the sea, you can move pretty fast in these boats. Um, and 
it was only three days past the battle itself when Ragnar made the decision to leave. So not that much time has passed, and it's certainly not enough time for Helga to have healed the way she was. Healed, seemingly, in this episode. Even though she's not all there mentally, and that's why I come to this really kind of twofold crackpot theory here. The first fold of this crackpot theory is that Floki becoming the seer and everything, his runes have actually gotten some real power and he has actually really started to heal her. Um, I mean, they, they have real, real power that they never had before. And we're seeing evidence of that. That that's one possible crackpot theory. But my other possible crackpot theory is probably going to make a lot of Helga fans really mad. I'm worried that Helga is actually dead. I actually am worried that Helga is dead and that what Floki is seeing when he's speaking to Helga is either in his imagination or it's another showing of the heightening of his seer's powers and that he's actually communicating with her, with her spirit, so to speak, because she doesn't seem very connected and there's, you know, they look like there was a lot more physical damage than there was any kind of mental damage. But I, I guarantee, yeah, I mean, being in a fire that would burn you in that way, I'm sure, would have psychological scars and would be very troubling. And maybe that's what it is. But still, it just didn't seem right. It's almost like, and especially even with her wording, it was like she said, I, I, I will do what you say, but don't die. And it's almost like it was from an experience. Oh, don't be here where I am right now. Don't don't be me. Don't die. This is not pleasant. This is not good. Or it could be just in Floki's imagination even. And he's just, you know, imposing his wishes that Helga wouldn't die. But I am really worried that Helga is actually dead and that she will continue to be a mentor of sorts. To Floki as we continue through the series and we will continue to see her but it won't be because her actual physical being is present in the world anymore I'm really worried about that I hope I'm wrong you know I, I seriously hope I'm wrong and now please take a moment to pause the podcast and laugh hysterically and roll your eyes at my crazy crackpot theory and then I will continue um, there was a like I said before there was a lot of tension about Ragnar in general. Um, he has definitely lost the faith of most of these people until he comes up with this portage idea. And that King Harold uh, slash Finehair talk with Lagatha um, and his brother, I mean, that clearly showed that not only a lot of people had lost faith, but it felt to me like Finehair was sensing that this is the time to capitalize on it he's even going to one of Ragnar's most staunch allies in Lagatha trying to convince her that Ragnar is not worth uh, doing the leading anymore and of course Lagatha puts him in his place but you even see that there's worry on her face after she says that um, which is very you know that was just so heartbreaking to me because uh, I love Lagatha and I hate to see her lose faith in Ragnar, but I understand why she is. But I also love the fact that she just flat stared Harold down <laughs> and said, you know, don't talk about him like that to me. Uh, that was fantastic. I love that. That was great. That, that there isn't enough Lagatha this season. I mean, we've had some good big moments and we've had some huge moments 
but just not enough of them. Not for me, because Lagatha is one of my favorite characters. I need more. Just give me more, please. But then the whole thing is, after Ragnar has his idea, then Finehair, it seems like he's blowing a lot of smoke up Ragnar's butt there. Oh, you're insane, but this is fabulous. We're ready to follow you now. It just doesn't feel right. And again, I hate to say it, but I, I worry that because of Floki's friendship established with Harold, um, that Floki might betray Ragnar. Don't forget that the the two things that we've seen the current seer say, one to Floki, one to Ragnar, was that Floki will become the next seer, and he's told Ragnar that when he himself can see once again, Ragnar will die, um, which would indicate that Floki would then become the new seer. So directly or indirectly, Floki is going to be involved in Ragnar's death, and, and whether that's intentionally or not, we'll have to see. Um, but I, it just makes me worry um, that folks who are jumping on board with Floki being all about Ragnar right now are maybe jumping the gun a little bit. But again, back to Finehair, it just seems like he's just kind of playing along with Ragnar to me. And I have no clue what kind of a betrayal that could lead to. But there's just so many things going against Ragnar right now. Um, they really had to, I guess, up the ante after it seemed like he was dying last year. Now they had to really up the ante, and now they've made it to where it, these circumstances are almost impossible to overcome. And and then if you didn't have enough of that, you had more tension in all of the Viking stuff going on with the, the Torvi and Bjorn and Erlander thing. And I just chucked that up to, I mean, I don't think that's a magic seeing prophecy or anything like that. That was just Torvi's imagination running wild. But the thing that really makes me angry about it is it seems like it was just to add shock value to this particular episode. It had no real storytelling purpose. Um, it just to, was just a moment to just shock you and say, did that really happen? And then an instant later say, oh, no, it didn't. You know, it's it's like uh, uh, the whole Dallas way back many, many, many years ago when uh, Victoria Principal's character just wakes up from a dream. It was just ridiculous. And and Bjorn, I mean, himself, other than just telling Ragnar that this could be trouble, he was very much in the background of the episode. So it felt like they just put this in there to give us a shocker moment for Bjorn, who I, I feel like I'll, the majority, not all. Definitely not all, but I feel like the majority of television viewers have come around to liking Bjorn a little more this season than in past seasons. Um, and so it was just done to add an extra kind of moment in there um, just to give us some shock value. It's like those old television shows, uh, like back 15 years ago, where they'd have the commercials, you know, a week in advance of the new episode. Someone will die this episode. Tune in to find out who. This whole episode was nothing but that. I mean, it really was. It was just like death after death after death. It felt kind of like house cleaning. And that's the way I feel about Edu, actually, because our caller, regular caller Bridget, she had fear for Edu in, in last week's voicemail. I really didn't know. I mean, other than, you know, just personal safety, I thought she might get hurt. Did not expect her to get killed. And it was her threat to Ragnar that, that really overdid it. And Ragnar is just so crazy and so 
um, driven by the drugs. I mean, he's even den- in denial about the fact that there's a limited su- supply. Did you see how small that pouch was that he pulled away from her? There's not going to be any more out after that. And he's going to be, you know, right at the most inopportune time, it seems to me, is when he's going to be in the worst shape in regards to those drugs. He's either going to have taken them all too much, you know, what's left. He's going to have overdone it or he's not going to have any left because he's been consuming too fast and he's uh, going to be really weak from withdrawing. And it just, uh, you know, he has made himself the worst. And I certainly don't like Ragnar very much this week at all. Did Edu have it coming? No, of course not. She was trying to be a free woman, like she assumed that Ragnar had told her that she was. And I remember Ragnar actually saying something about freedom. So his drug-induced state. Um, made him focus specifically on something that he did say, that she could come and go as she chose. And I, we even said when we looked back at that episode, or when we looked at that episode, I can't remember how many podcasts ago, is that, that Ragnar really wasn't giving her her freedom, which is exactly what we saw here, him s- stating to her. But nonetheless, uh, the fact that she used that whole secret thing to get at Ragnar... Um, that was what set him off most because then he became self-protection mode and it's bad enough that he feels like he has to hide his addiction. Um, then he'd have to hide this terrible tragedy that he feels responsible for, or at least being knowing about. So he, he just had to silence her, but man, you can forgive somebody for, for being sick or being addicted, but that doesn't justify murder ever. And her status as a slave was proven to an extreme by what he did, which was really unfortunate because I didn't feel like we got enough information about Edu. It just felt like something that they needed to tie up so that they could move on to the next thing. And uh, we didn't get any idea of her connection with Aslog. We, we didn't get any idea of her connection with any of it, you know, was Aslog putting in her in play for something? Well, does it matter now? No. All that matters is that Ragnar is a murderer and not the kind of murderer. I mean, Ragnar has been a murderer, obviously, but I mean, this, this was a very heinous kind of murder and nothing would indicate that more than the way he looks when Ube and uh, Fitzer see him. He realizes just how in the wrong he is, and all he can do is draw him close and say, it's okay, it's okay, and then try to redirect them to something else. How how horrifying this trip has to have been for Ube and, and, and Fitzerk. I mean, uh, you know, if they come through all of this on the other side uh, without serious damage to their mental psyches, um, then they will definitely be stronger people and stronger leaders in the future as a result of it. Because this is just, ah, man, subjecting these kids to this is just terrible. And I know that's kind of putting a modern standard on a a medieval world. I shouldn't do that. As I said before, this show is more like Sons of Anarchy than anything else that I've watched in the fact that even though these people do do these heinous things like this, um, you still care for them. It's just really radical how how good television can make you do that. 
Um, but it doesn't make you it doesn't make you respect some of those characters anymore. And I certainly am respecting uh, Ragnar left a lot less for the killing of Edu. And like I said before, I, I don't think that that will allow us any chance unless we hear from Aslog herself uh, about what she had put Edu up to and whether Edu had followed through with that to any extent or whether Edu was just out for freedom for herself. And and I guess that brings me to, I don't think Aslog will be saying anything about it. She's just going to be crying about Harvard for the rest of her life. Harvard and his lack of ability to convince Aslog of his mission. I mean, my goodness, this guy is a good con man, isn't he? Um, I, I can't remember who it was that Bridget said she thought he was last week. Was it Heindahl? Um, or whether he is actually a god or not, he's, he's certainly selling his bill of goods uh, well enough to everyone like he is, except for Aslog. And and the talk of taking away people's pain um, and all of that stuff. I mean, all of that seems admirable enough, I suppose. But again, I ask at what cost? Because I, I just feel like there is something to the connection of, of Siggy's death and Aslog being with Harvard. And I don't know what the fact that if Aslog has chosen to stop being with Harvard... Um, the way it would seem, does that require a greater sacrifice to be demanded from Harvard in some way? The guy's, the guy's a sleazeball, but, you know, can you really feel bad for Aslog? I mean, she's cheated on Ragnar the same way that Ragnar has cheated on her. I don't f- feel bad for Ragnar because Aslog cheated on him with Harvard in the first place. Ragnar had that coming. I would have liked to have seen Lagertha laugh in Ragnar's face if he would relay to her uh, anything about Aslog and Harvard. Because Lagatha was the first one to suffer Ragnar's infidelity. So I don't feel bad for Ragnar that Aslog wants to do this with Harvard. I don't feel bad for Aslog because Harvard wants to do this with everybody else. I I think that a lot of infidelities that go on in this show are are just written into the show to, to prove that it was not a perfect world at the time. And um, some people get hurt by that more than others. It never seems to be the people uh, worrying about it, though, when they're the ones doing the hurting. And that's the the interesting kind of character aspect of it, I suppose. Um, But I am concerned about if Harvard is leaving, uh, it was just shortly before he left the last time that uh, he demanded a sacrifice. So he hands that coin to Sigurd, and good on Sigurd, by the way, uh, for being Joe Spy and, and Joe Reveal um, this episode. I'm glad he did that for his mother. I, I thought that um, that was good. I, I I was glad when Bjorn uh, confronted uh, Ragnar uh, and and told and also told Lagertha. I, I, I felt that that was uh, important, that a son should have that kind of, of loyalty to their mother. But has he been rewarded with death? That whole coin thing, and I know this is a totally different mythology. I know this, but there was a story of the ferryman and everything that Ragnar told earlier this year. And that whole putting the coin in, in Sigurd's hand and telling him to give it to Ivar, um, it reminds me a lot of, you know, giving the coin to the ferryman to take you from life to death. 
And I know that that's a, a de- definitely much more of a Greek thing. It's certainly older than the Viking culture, but it's still, it still, it felt that way to me. I don't know why it said that to me. If somebody can point out to me what the um, importance of that coin is, I, I would I would love to know because if Sigurd keeps it, will he be the sacrifice? If he gives it to Ivar, will Ivar be the sacrifice? Now, history, quote-unquote, tells us um, that it shouldn't be the case in either case, I suppose. But, again, this is a television show. It's not always completely historically accurate. They've taken things from whole different centuries and put them all in Ragnar's life. So, uh, I mean, could they rewrite history uh, and and have Ivar the Boneless um, never become the Ivar the Boneless that we know in the history? Um, or could they kill off Sigurd or even little Siggy, Purin's little girl? I hope not. And I guess that's it uh, for for all of the Viking, Viking stuff. We've covered Wessex, we've covered Kattegat, we've covered Francia with the Vikings, uh, but we do still have Paris itself to cover. And I guess all that I can say about this is that, you know, another unexpected death. Well, not unexpected. We all knew that something was coming for Odo, but again, I didn't quite see it happening this quickly or in the way that it did. And maybe I'm supposed to like to like delight in the fact that Therese got a little revenge for the way that Odo treated her, but I was definitely under the impression that the only reason she subjected herself to that in the f- kind of torture in the first place was to get dirt on Odo. And with both Odo and Roland calling Rolo out of not being useful anymore, I, I was thinking this might be a thing that turned, possibly could turn Rolo back against Paris. But in, instead, what happens here is it, it ascends Rolo above Roland, which seems to me to be anti the intentions of Roland and Therese in the first place. So, was that make Rolo the next target for Roland and Therese? And I have to wonder if Gisela's father merely rolled on on Odo this quickly because his daughter is pregnant. Did Charles roll on Odo because Gisela is pre- is pregnant? Um, because he still has these odd looks and that conversation with Therese at the end where it almost seems like she's starting to try to play him in some way. I just think that Charles is actually playing a much larger game um, than we suspect right now. Um, and, and I think that we're going to have to see whether the prospect of a grandbaby is going to change his plan as we go along. Has it already changed it? Did he roll over on Odo simply because of the prospect of this heir for the throne? And as for Rollo himself, I mean, and there wasn't a whole lot here, but I think the most important thing to take from this and especially the way it connects back to Ragnar and him doing this portage thing, is that Rollo realizes that just because he turned Ragnar back does not mean that Ragnar has been defeated. He knows that Ragnar will come again. And that's why I question whether wild-eyed Ragnar's idea of this portage thing uh, will actually work out in the long run, because will Rollo look for some kind of move like that? We've seen Rollo anticipate his brother's moves very well, so far, will he continue to do so? Um, and will he want to? I mean, if uh, Therese and Roland try to go against him uh, or whatever, I mean, will Rolo um, just say the heck with y'all 
and gallivant out of there with his Gisla and start his own kingdom. <laughs> Probably not, but it it just seems like um, there was a lot of circling around. It was almost like musical chairs, except there, everybody has a chair still, and everybody's pretty much in the same place where they are, save for the fact that Odo is out. But it was like his chair wasn't removed. And so people are still dancing around for the same number of chairs. Um, it, it doesn't feel uh, like anything was really achieved in Paris by the removal of Odo, other than us just getting the satisfaction of seeing a guy who is pretty monstrous to women uh, get treated in the same way. And um, that was a fitting justice for him. But I just wonder if, as far as the timing is concerned, if it doesn't end up working out worse for Charles or Roland or Therese. Obviously, I think it worked out worse for Roland and Therese because I think Roland assumed he would be ascended to the hand of the king position, and instead Rollo was. So now the game begins afoot again, right? And I guess that's all I have for this episode. Uh, let's get to my rating, I suppose. There was a lot of emotional impact out of many of the deaths that we had this week. I, I, I But to me... um the story seemed to serve more of a cleaning house kind of thing or for great shots or for shock value than as any real part of, of character development or storytelling this week. And again, I'll say, remember how 15 years ago um, networks would promote upcoming episodes of their shows with like this week, one of your favorite characters dies tune in to find out who I feel that's exactly, you know, was History Channel running an ad like that or something this week? Because everybody died. Everywhere. I mean, it was just like, okay, we, we, we've we got only got two episodes left in this half of the season. we got to clear things out. Oh, let's just start killing people. And let's come up with crazy reasons to do it. Now, the one that wasn't like that, I think, and that we all saw coming, was the Quinthrith thing. And again, I, I hate to lose Quinthrith, but uh, I'm glad that was done in a well-thought-out, dramatic fashion. Something that had been building all season. The Odo thing, you know, that's more just kind of a revenge kind of thing, I think, to give justification to some viewers who are offended by the way he treated women. The Edu thing uh, was just so left field, which I guess, you know, you can expect from, from a drug situation. But I just almost get the impression that they felt like this Edu thing just really isn't working. We've kind of dug ourselves into a hole where we can't really explain it. Let's just have drug crazed. Ragnar, uh, you know, killer. And then there's no way she, he can get any more drugs, and that'll put him in more peril in the finale. So it, it just, it, it all felt just a little bit too cardboard box, cut out, let's get rid of the characters that we don't need to tell the rest of this story. Um, and let's do it all in one fell swoop. Oh, and let's throw in a character that everybody loves falling into the river because he got shot in the neck with an arrow by his greatest enemy, but make it just somebody's imagination just so that people will think that that's another death, uh, for a second. Let's give him a heart attack. Yeah, that'll make him tune in in May. Wait, do we have any episodes in May? Oh, well, it'll make him tune in next week. Wait. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> all right, I'm sorry, uh, I, I know my humor is not all that great, but my point being is that the moments were fantastic, but the writing uh, felt like subpar because it was just throwing those moments in more so than anything. I, I will say that in terms of the impact for me from a character standpoint, uh, this is the least 
amount of fandom that I've had for Ragnar ever, I think. I don't feel all of that much in terms of uh, people cheating on whoever with whoever all that much. I am intrigued by the Floki thing. The Floki thing was very good. I, I, and maybe that's just because of my imagination. Again, my crazy crackpot theories, but I, at least uh, I was engaged in that uh, and did love the Quinthris stuff. Um, I loved her calling Eckbert out, getting a chance to call Eckbert out. <laughs> Seeing, again, a little bit of Cersei in Quinthrith by saying, you know, she wished she was a man. Um, yeah, because if she had been a man, then uh, she wouldn't be sacrificing her own child for what she was about to do. And she knew she was going to die. It's just that she didn't know she was going to die that quick. She knew she was going to kill Eckbert, but, uh, and that that would get her killed. Uh, and that she was sacrificing her own child because of that. But nonetheless, she was going to do it anyway. She just didn't think that somebody would get to her before she got the chance to do what she was going to do. Uh, so there's some great dramatic irony in that as well. Um, but all in all, um, I really can't. I, I think I'll go straight straight 8.0. I had 7.9 written down, but I, I've at least talked myself into an 8.0. And uh, lots of you had thoughts about these particular episodes. We've got lots of cool feedback sections coming up next, like three words, where you try to describe the episode in three words. We also have uh, the Frig of the Week, the best coupling of the week. And we have your feedback as well as how you rated the episodes coming up. We'll start with describing the episode in three words. Three words is next. Alrighty, three words. As I mentioned before, this is where you try to describe the episode in three words. Now, you can take a general approach where you try and do the whole thing in three words, or you can take a, uh, you know, just a, a scene that impacted you greatly and try and describe that in three words. There's lots of ways you can do it. And before we get to this week's three words, I do have a, a couple of uh, submissions that came in a little late from last week. Uh, so I want to get those in here um, so that we're, these are for, of course, the water battle episode. Uh, first was via an email from Angel who got his in just like 20 minutes bef uh, after I had finished recording the podcast. I felt bad that I couldn't go back and include it, but I just didn't have time. Uh, Angel said, Trader Bests Norseman as their three-word uh, description for last week's episode. And at Cute Poison 10 also said about last week's episode, not one of my favorite episodes. My three words would have been wandering hands and minds. Uh, very good. And my three words this week, uh, it was simply three big deaths. How more obvious can you get than that, right? That's pretty lame, people are saying right now. Three big deaths. Wow, you really stretched for that one, didn't you, Matt? Uh, and you might even question, was it really three big deaths? Well, I think they were supposed to be. Yeah, I think they were supposed to be. But let's hear what some of you described for your three words for this week. And we'll do some tweets here. Uh, at xhanna91, that's our friend Shanna, says, Dragner's Dark Secrets. Yes, very good. The secret about the, the settlement in Wessex and now a secret about killing Idu. 
Wow. Um, at Mischief Forever, at Sir Fred Jenny says, three words, crack that whip. <laughs> Feels like I should be playing the Devo song underneath here rather than uh, the three-word song. No? Okay. Good stuff, Jenny. Thank you very much. At Fat Monster um, is cheating. <laughs> and he says, wait, is this cheating? And then he has, in parentheses, how strange life is. Uh, and uh, yes, that is cheating, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it slide anyway uh, because uh, I kind of let uh, at Cute Poison Tins slide, who should have done Wandering Hands slash Minds, not Wandering Hands and Minds. Uh, but who cares? You know, if you do it four words, if you do it three words, if you just come up with something that's less than, you know, say 17 syllables, then I'll probably include it in this section. Uh, anyway, at Fat Monster, that's great. Yeah, because that w- when um, I guess it was both Eckbert and Charles found out about preg- pregnancies unexpectedly, that was the line that was given by each of them. Which, drawing the kind of parallel between Charles and Eckbert, given that we know that Eckbert is such a great strategist and such uh, a master manipulator, um, are we trying to say that Charles is the same way by giving them the same line? Is that, I mean, that seems a little heavy-handed from a writing standpoint, but um, I don't know. Maybe that is something to question. Um, at Cute Poison 10, Christine, her three words for this week's episode were Ragnar's Murderous Addiction. And they also rated the episode an 8.5 out of 10. Very good. Thank you, Christine, for that. Um, an email from Angel for this week's episode, as opposed to last week's episode, says, Floki remains loyal in a pivotal time when Floki could easily tell Ragnar that he could not find a way to put the ships over the cliff. He tells him publicly that everything he does is for him. He could have remained a stooge for King Harald. Ragnar's legend could have ended with a knife in his back that same night, possibly. Ragnar's You Are the Man finger point was a demonstration of love that Floki needed. Very interesting, Angel. I thank you for your thought. I'm not sure that I agree with you. I think it depends on whether my crackpot theory is right or not. I think that if Helga's dead, then I think Floki is definitely just playing along. On the other hand, you know, again, I'm going crazy crackpot there, and you've already laughed at me twice uh, for even bringing that up. So, Uh, but I, I, you know, good, good stuff. On to a voicemail from Bridget. Let's hear that. Hi, this is for Ragnarcast, and this is Bridget. And this is for the episode Portage of Vikings. And the three words, they're kind of serious. Reaping what's sown. I'm referring, of course, to Odo, Yidu, and Gwynrith. I know that sounds harsh, but, uh, but all three of them were players. It was so sad, though. Odo was killed by a Parisian, Quintrith was killed by an English woman, and Yidu was killed by a Viking. Reaping what's sown. Yes, uh, really, when you think about it, all three of these characters have kind of created the seeds of their own destruction, in a way. They, they have sowed the seeds of their own destruction. Yidu forgetting Ragnar, addicted to the drugs in the first place, um, and that addiction eventually turned on her. Odo, with the way that he treated Therese, brought him uh, where he ended up. And as far as Quintrith goes, 
um, her lust for power. The fact that she murdered all of those people uh, to get the throne in the first place. Uh, it kind of finally came back and got her. However, I, I don't, you know, again, I just love Amy Bailey so much. I'm going to miss her so much. Can we have Ghost Quinthrith come back and haunt Eckbert every once in a while? You know, much more frequently than Athelstan showing up and then disappearing. I would love that. I would love that. All right. Uh, speaking of love, what's the best coupling of the week? Well, we're about to find out what you guys thought for the best coupling of the week. It's the Frig of the Week. That's coming up next. So clearly three little words, eight little letters, simply mean I love you. Ragnar cast, and this is Bridget. My couple of the week is young Sigurd and his own thoughts. He was the one who led Oslog to Havard and the women, and while he was a small part of it all, I'm expecting great things from Sigurd. So since I closed with Bridget's voicemail in the last segment, I thought I'd open with it this time. Sigurd and his own thoughts. Uh, that's a good one, Bridget. It actually, like I said in earlier parts of this podcast, it makes me worry for Sigurd a little more than uh, I would like to be worrying for Sigurd, unfortunately. Uh, we also did have a submission for last week's episode. Again, email from Angel who said, Ragnar and his shame of losing the fight in Paris. That's very good. That's very good. Me, I, I think I'm going to go uh, showrunners and shock value. Uh, because that seemed to be the, the principal purpose of this particular episode. Uh, to me. Yeah, I know. That's not very nice of me, is it? Not very nice of me. Um, let's see some tweets here. At XHanna91 said, Ragnar and Edu. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I guess we can't do that one anymore, can we? After this week's episode. Um, at Mischief Forever. That's Jenny says, King Eckbert and Judith. Yeah, that's interesting. Eckbert's declaration of love. I, I wonder, Jenny, do you think that uh, Eckbert is being truthful with Judith? And do you think the fact that Judith did kill Quintrith, do you think that that is the demonstration that she loves him as well? I mean, has this gone beyond a partnership of convenience and has it become actual love uh, between the two of them? And but that's just a little crazy, <laughs> but uh, possibly so. I don't know. At Fat Monster, uh, that's our buddy Matt on Twitter. He says, "Odo and the Whip." I think they were a match made in Valhalla. <laughs> Very good. I like that one, Matt. Um, Odo, Odo, let's get it. Let's, let me make something perfectly clear. If I didn't, 
emphasize it enough. Odo did have this coming. It's just that it just felt like it was thrown in here because everything else was thrown in here and they didn't have really any meat to put into this episode other than the deaths. Um, which is why I feel like that all of them lose a little bit of impact because of that. Uh, and f- we have a uh, last tweet here from at cute poison 10, Christine, who also went Eckbert and Judith. Very good. Yeah, that's a good one. I think mine, uh, other than, you know, showrunners and shock value, I, I think Eckbert and Judith would probably be mine too. If I had to choose two characters, um, if I had to use a character and a concept, it's just uh, Ragnar and insanity. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on with that guy. He, I hope he runs out of those drugs soon so he can get clean soon so that he can figure out what's about to pile up on top of him because he's just leading him into, I think, a really bigger mess than he was before. Email from Angel who says their frig was Aslog and her fantasy that a god wants her. Ooh, Harbor does not want to be tied to one person because he wants to fornicate with whomever he wants. Ragnar should have given her attention, but deep down, I feel that he yearns for the one who got away, Lagatha. Um, and then Angel also gave the episode only a 7.8. All right. Thank you very much for your submission, Angel. And uh, there you go. There's our couplings of the week, our frig of the week. And uh, we get some feedback, starting with uh, Matt's voicemail, coming up first and next. Love can make it Take my heart and please don't break it Love was made for me and you For me and you For me and you For me and you Hello Matt and listeners of the Ragnar cast This is Matt again That is uh, Fat Monster on Twitter S-A-T-M-O-S-T-E-R. I'd love to talk Vikings or Game of Thrones or any other shows you guys are interested in, so feel free to hit me up there. Uh, this episode, not one of my favorites, but it did move the plot along quite a bit. Uh, right away, we see that uh, Ragnar still has it with his great idea, moving the boats across the mountain. I was also excited to see that it looks like Floki is back on Team Ragnar uh, after Ragnar saved his life, so that's always exciting to see as well. Uh, also, I thought it was nice to see Sigurd uh, point out that Harvard is having sex with all the women in the village, or at least only those who need it. I'm not a big fan of Oslog, so to me it's okay that she's upset, her little tantrum she threw. I don't really feel bad for her at all. Talking about being faithful, she's not faithful, Ragnar's not faithful, Willa's not faithful, no one's really faithful in this show. Um, I also wanted to bring up the fact that Odo finally got his. Nice to see uh, him get whipped. What a perfect way for him to go. And lastly, I just wanted to say that now that Ragnar has killed his uh, drug dealer, he's going to have to be going through some withdrawals. Uh, also, didn't Helga really heal up quite nicely? I was almost convinced that she had died at the end of the last episode. So when I heard the podcast and you guys talking about how rough she died, uh, I was very surprised this episode to see her still alive. Uh, too bad that Ragnar didn't talk to the head. I'm very excited to see that happen. There's a character in Deadwood that also talks to a skull. And because uh, they're such good actors, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So, 
thanks again, Matt, for doing the podcast. Always like to hear. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. Uh, thank you, Matt, so much for calling in the voicemail line. That's 314-669-1840 and leaving a voicemail. Uh, I'm sorry that my phone system, it, it couldn't clean up your audio a little bit better. Um, but w- I still got the gist of everything, and I hope our listeners did too. Ragnar having the good idea uh, of the Portage thing. And yes, I, I think that it is a good idea. But again, it kind of worries me that it, it seems like he's coming up with this just from a, like a still crazed drug state. Uh, and he's got this pretty wild look in his eye when he's asking for Floki's help. And so I just don't know. And especially with the complications later in the episode, whether he's really thinking clearly about how he's going to get back to the river or not. And whether there will be a lot of trouble either because he'll be have too much drugs in his system at the time, or he won't have enough drugs in his system at the time, by the time that they get there. But the idea, again, you know, it's solid. Vikings did use that in the 8th and ninth centuries, so good stuff. Um, Floki on Team Ragnar. And uh, you and Angel, you know, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I can't say that there's evidence that Floki is not uh, completely on, on Team Ragnar, except for the fact that I do feel like that if he was, he would tell Ragnar about the Aslog vision. I feel like that that's the one thing that keeps me from believing Floki entirely. And then, of course, I have my crazy crackpot thing, which which if Helga is actually dead, and if Floki does realize it, then why would he ever not blame Ragnar for what happened to Helga? You know, and, and that's still carrying over from what happened to Angraboda. Um, I still think that there's a lot of wounds to heal before Floki is totally on board uh, with Ragnar, if he ever is again. And... The fact that, you know, if Floki is becoming a seer, then that just means that Ragnar's going to be dead. And whether, again, it's by Floki's intention or not, or whether he's directly involved with that or not, um, those two prophecies by the current seer tie Floki's ascension with Ragnar's death. And so, in a way, Floki will be involved with Ragnar's death. Um, And what will that do to him? or not do to him, depending on where he is in the state of mind with Ragnar right now. Uh, I'll keep babbling here. Uh, you don't feel bad for Aslog? I can't, I can't say that I really feel bad for Aslog either. Um, however, as you pointed out, nobody's faithful. I don't feel bad uh, for Ragnar for the fact that Aslog cheated uh, with Harbert uh, on him. He had that coming. He's done nothing but cheat his whole life. He's done nothing but hurt. He deserves a little hurt back. And right now, man... I'm not liking Ragnar at all. I wish I wish Floki would tell Ragnar about what's going on with Aslog right now. Maybe it'd wake him up. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it'd make him worse. I don't know. Um and just like you said, you know, you thought that she was dead this week. I'm I'm sticking to my crazy crackpot theory here that maybe she actually is dead. Maybe what Floki is communicating with in that scene is her spirit or his imagination. Uh, I, I don't know. We Floki's mind is so wacky, so crazy, that sometimes it's hard to determine what's real and what's not when we have scenes with Floki. Um, so maybe that is what we're supposed to have pulled out of it later on in the season when we find out that Helga is a ghost. Ha ha! Everybody has turned off the podcast now because I keep going back to my crazy crackpot theory. Anyway, um, yeah, I... 
uh, I like that idea. The whole Ragnar having withdrawals is inevitable. You bet. Without Edu to measure it out, there's just no way that that's going to work out well for Ragnar. And like I said, he may even like overdose or he might overuse and be extremely compromised uh, and then end up having withdrawal at the most inopportune time. Any of those things are possible. If that's the case, he might be the head that's talking rather than the guy talking to the head, unfortunately. But thank you very much, Matt, for the voicemail. Uh, loved hearing all of those great thoughts, and keep calling in when you can. Moving on to an email from a first-time emailer, Sigan, who says, Hi, I just found your podcast, and I'm so enjoying it. I like your view on the show, especially when I disagree. It makes me see things in a new light. Anyway, I just wanted to give my two cents on Floki. He is really my favorite character, and I'm happy to learn I'm not alone in this as a listener. For me, Floki got his initiation to becoming a seer when he hung in the cave. The verses he mumbles seems to be connected to Odin's rune song as quoted. Verses 138 and 139, I know that I hung on a windy tree nine long nights, wounded with a spear dedicated to Odin, myself to myself, on the tree of which no man knows from where its roots run. No bread did they give me, nor drink from a horn. Downwards I peered. I took up the runes, screaming, I look at them, and then I fell back from there. And this is later confirmed by the old seer licking his hand. I also see Harvard as a manifestation of Odin, or maybe even possibly Loki, from Harvard's song, wherefore they have the connection in this episode. Floki's embracing of Aslog, I interpret as him knowing this is a vision and stay strong and face it, not as him cheating on his wife. This is the Frigg moment for me, Floki and the powers. Okay, excellent. I will be greatly disappointed if this is going to lead to some telltale from his side to Ragnar. Like, do you know what Aslog is doing at home? The way Ragnar treats her makes it totally understandable even if I do not agree at all on her behavior, that she has her own agenda now, especially since Ragnar got a woman pregnant last season and still felt the need to rage on his wife. Boring. Um, I do hope Helga survives, but maybe she is part of the sacrifice of Floki becoming the seer. Anyway, I'm so happy to see more of Floki, Hope that Floki and Ragnar can find their way back to friendship. If you consider that Ragnar didn't want to punish Floki like that, but rather was forced to do so by the action Bjorn, maybe there's a chance. I do not like that Bjorn blames his father alone for the situation. I can't believe he hasn't asked or tried to help his father when it is so obvious that there is something wrong. And Bjorn was also the one leaving Rollo in France in the first place. Sorry, I don't care much for Bjorn this season. Not taking care of his kid and not taking care of business with Erlander and not saving his new girlfriend's kid. I hope he will leave for Italy soon and eventually meet up with Alfred. But I do want to add that your views made me see him as a more favorable person, so thanks for that. Thanks for an awesome podcast. I'm looking forward to the next episode. And and Sigan, thank you so much 
for uh, these thoughts. They're great. Uh, and again, they were kind of in relation to my podcasting about last week's episode. But, you know, I, I like I love your thoughts here. I, I love the idea of uh, the thing that Floki was singing was actually the kind of the birth of his process. Um, that's fantastic. And maybe I, hopefully my crazy crackpot Helga theory didn't shock you too much. Cause even here you were kind of wondering if Helga was going to survive. Um, uh, and maybe this is again, um, Floki's pathway towards ascension to the seer spot. But, uh, that means that if that is the case, then Ragnar will have to go. If one seer's uh, prediction is true, then his seer, that same seer's prediction for the other, you would think would be true as well. Very scary. Very scary. But thank you very much for the email. Uh, I do have one final voicemail here from Bridget, so let's take a listen to that. Hi, this is for Ragnarcast, and this is Bridget, and this is for the episode Portage of Vikings. Now, I gave I gave it a 9 on the voting, but in my heart, I gave it a 9.9. And first, let me defend my reasons, even though there were no battle scenes. I thought every scene was acted and executed perfectly, even if I didn't like what I was seeing, like Judith killing Quinrith and Ragnar killing Yidu. But the scenes of the Vikings moving the ships were so cool. I just loved them. Could they really do that? The reason I couldn't give it a more with more points was because every scene with Roland bores me, and I think they're underutilizing his character. My couple of the week is young Sigurd and his own thoughts. He was the one who led Oslog to Havard and the women, and while a small part he was while he was a small part of it all, I'm expecting great things from Sigurd. And my quote is a kind of a small one. It was Helga to Floki when she said don't die. She is such a good actress. I just love her. And the three words, they're kind of serious. Reaping what's sown. I'm referring, of course, to Odo, Yidu, and Gwynrith. I know that sounds harsh, but, uh, but all three of them were players. It was so sad, though. Odo was killed by a Parisian. Quinrith, excuse me, Quinthrith was killed by an English woman, and Yidu was killed by a Viking. But I actually, I'm not sad to see him go, especially Yidu. Now we, we get to see how Ragnar's going to handle his recovery. We still have a lot of loose ends. Is Lagertha pregnant? What was with, what was with Torvi's vision of Bjorn and Elendor? How will Ragnar's son deal with what they saw? Is Magnus the father, I mean, excuse me, the foster son of King Egbert or his hostage? And the most important question to me, will Ragnar survive his own recovery? I owe you an apology, Matt. You said Ragnar was losing it, and boy, were you right. Okay, thank you again for everything you do. Could not enjoy it more. Keep up the good work, and Skoll. All right, Bridget, thank you, Skoll. First off, I'm really glad that you did like the episode because your excitement for it has helped to kind of temper some of my own complaints that I've had about it, all this this whole podcast. Um, so thanks for, for bringing me back to a sane level of uh, lack of agitation, I guess I should say. Um, and yes, those shots of, of the boats lifting, they were. They were very cool. And, and yes, I do believe that the Vikings could do that if they if they ever had to. 
But again, the problem that I have is, is that the fact that it feels like it was just for the sake of the shots themselves rather than any real advantage to the Vikings themselves. I mean, they are still going to have to go up and down and up and down mountains uh, carrying these boats. They will be in lowlands at some point. So why not bring the boats in on the lowlands in the first place? It just seems like it would have saved a lot of time in the process to me. Uh, and Rolo, he he was boring. I, I guess that's true. You know, I mean, like I said in my own thing, I didn't really have too much to say about Rolo other than the fact that he seems to be the only one there who doesn't think that uh, Ragnar won't come back because he definitely believes that Ragnar will. So um, kudos to him for having those kind of smarts at least. Um, and I just found the rest of the thing kind of confusing because, again, you know, the Roland with Odo thing, again, a nice revenge for Therese, but it doesn't seem to have raised them up in any status of power. They seem to be the exact same spot that they were. And so they've gone through a lot of trouble. She's gone through a whole lot of suffering and pain, which she volunteered for and all for naught because Rolo is now the hand of the king. And I think that's why you're seeing her start to work on Charles a little bit at the end of that scene uh, where Rolo is announced because they're just playing the game yet again. It's like uh, round two uh, from square one. Anyway, uh, Lagertha being pregnant or not. Don't know. Um, I mean, nothing has been indicated to us otherwise, but I, I just don't know. If I'm I'm reading everything right, as far as her own personal feelings about it go, uh, and maybe it is just the fact that she's accepted the the seer's prophecy, and so even if she is pregnant, she doesn't really accept it because it's just going to hurt that much more when she loses the baby. I don't know, and I don't think that Torvi's vision was anything other than really her imagination. And again, to give us really of what I felt like was an unneeded shock moment in the show we already had three deaths we didn't need a fake out i mean it was a great looking shot though kudos to that stunt guy or that dummy or whatever it was that fell into the water uh, because that that was a fantastic shot but it served zero purpose in the story except just to show us that torvi fears for bjorn's life is what i felt like um and uh, that could have easily just been stated uh with a few words rather than um, giving us a moment just to make us jump out of our seats for a second. Cheap, cheap. Who will die this week? Watch as Bjorn dies. That's how they would have promoted it. Watch as Bjorn dies. Because uh, in Torvi's dream, he does. Anyway, then, then your question about Uba and, and Fitzerk's reaction is an interesting one. If Helga is alive, I would think that maybe they might share that information with Helga. Um, but since I'm on such a strange kick right now about Helga actually being dead and we're just seeing her ghost, I don't know what they will do. All I know is that they have to come out of this whole thing. If they're not completely messed up by the time they come through this and if they survive this, then they are definitely going to be stronger kids for it. And maybe not necessarily in a good way, but uh, they will definitely be stronger. And 
Eckbert using Magnus as a hostage, uh, again, that might very well be the case. I, I kind of left it open in my discussion of it that it could go either way, the way that he's saying it will go, which how many times when Eckbert says something, does it actually go that way? Come to think of it, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, he, it's more than likely that he's going to use Magnus as a hostage against Ragnar. But the pro- problem is, will Ragnar even be alive uh, to care uh, by the time anybody gets back to England? And yes, Ragnar is definitely in trouble. Uh, I think he's, again, in more trouble than he can actually really dig himself out of. If you're led to believe that, he, you know, the whole death thing in season three um, was such a great thing for him to overcome or to use, uh, it just feels to me like they just tried to find circumstances for him to overcome that are just too insurmountable this time. And if he does come through it, then wow, what a great freaking warrior Ragnar is. And if he doesn't come through it, well, um, they certainly set it up for him to fail. Um, so that's okay then, I guess, except for the fact that, you know, I don't want to name this podcast the Ragnarless podcast. May have to do that. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much, Bridget. I loved your voicemail. Thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts with the rest of us. The only thing left to share with all of you is the poll results and how you rated this week's episode. Again, Season 4, Episode 8, Portage. And here's how it breaks down. We had three numbers vote-getters. The scale rating is 1 to 10. And uh, 7 out of 10 was in third place with only 10% of the vote. 8 out of 10 was in second place with uh, 40% of the vote, and the top vote-getter with 50% was 9 out of 10. So a lot of you liked the episode a heck of a lot better than I did, I'm, and I'm glad you did. I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I just, um, uh, one fewer deaths, two fewer deaths, if you count the Bjorn fake-out, would, uh, would have been made it a lot more compelling episode uh, and give us a little story building into it rather than just the sake of doing it. it. Again, it just it just felt like, you know, it's like, oh, the whiteboard is full. Somebody get the rag so that we can wipe some of this out. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be sound so negative. I really, you know, it's still a good episode. I gave it an eight. Um, you know, it's not like I gave it a five or something like that. So um, I, I just, uh, I don't know why I'm apologizing for not liking it. It just, it just felt a little contrived to me. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about the new episode of Vikings. And I thank you so much for your time. Remember, if you have any thoughts, if you want to call me out uh, by laughing at my crazy crackpot theories or just saying that I'm completely wrong about stuff, um, or if, if you like some of my ideas, or if you just like the podcast and what we do, or you want to submit your three-word description for next week's episode, or your best coupling, which doesn't have to be, you know, two people. It can be a person and an object. It can be a person and an idea, or a person and a conceptual idea. Um, anyway, uh, submit your frig. Um, submit any thoughts that you have about each week's episode. You can do so by sending an email to ragnarcast at gmail.com, R-A-G-N-A-R-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, or you can tweet at Ragnarcast, or you can call 314-669-1840. You can find all of that information also at ragnarcast.wordpress.com. This is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Contact the podcast by emailing ragnarcast at gmail.com or by calling 314-669-1840. Tweet to the podcast at ragnarcast. 
Please leave the podcast a written review on your podcatcher, and find all back episodes and other links at ragnarcast.wordpress.com.